Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to book club number 38, and today we are on pillar number three of Don Yeager's Great Teams. And this week, we are talking about activating efficiency, and we have five things underneath this pillar as the keys to great teams. We're going to start with the first one, managing dysfunction, friction, and strong personalities. If you're associated with any team, you know that we are more and more coaches of personalities and not of plays and sets and defenses and offenses. Great teams know how to manage that friction and they know how to manage those personality conflicts to make sure that you do everything that you can so that your team can have success. In the book, Jaeger talks about something called the Cartman Drama Triangle, which is something that I never thought about before. But basically, within a drama triangle, there's there's essentially it comes down to three victim, uh, three three uh, roles. Excuse me, victims, persecutors, or rescuers. Victims are those that feel like they have obviously been forced to give in or to give up. Uh, they're they're just they're, they're the ones that are being uh, attacked here. The persecutors are the ones that. Uh, the victims feel like the uh, that they are being those are the people that are forcing the agenda on them and rescuers are the ones that are going to intervene and try to make this work usually for the victim so one of the greatest uh, sports feuds in history especially in basketball is Kobe versus Shaq and depending on how you looked at it one was the victim one was the persecutor uh and again it depended on your perspective and then your rescuers were either phil jackson and jerry west and phil jackson was able to navigate this situation enough so that the strong personalities were able to function together and the whole team did not falter until the very very end now as we look back at kobe and shaq both of them were right uh they were both uh, top-notch players, top talent, all-time greats. However, the reason why it didn't last longer is one was not willing to step back for the good of the team. Both of them wanted to be the alpha dog. Both of them wanted to be to be the Batman of the situation, and neither was content with uh, being Robin. And that is why Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen are the greatest archetype for the lack of uh, friction and strong personalities. Uh, when dealing with with strong personalities and, and friction, Jaeger points out there's basically five types of ways to manage these conflicts. Uh, competing means that you are trying to force your rank and title through the conflict and saying, basically, I'm in charge. This is how we're going to do it. The accommodating strategy is basically you know, playing nice, giving in. Appeasement is another way you could say that. Avoiding the conflict is simply that. You're not even confronting the issue and pretending that it's not there. Compromising is trying to find a middle ground between all of these things. The best way to deal with friction and conflict is collaboration and collaborating. Listening to everybody's opinions and act with with an open heart and an open mind. You consider all their points of view, and then you try to share those values within the organization. You try to bring it in all into one place, and you give everybody a, a voice. 
when you are trying to avoid conflict, it's important that you at least emphasize the values that you're trying to put into place and that it's important that you have open communication at all times. Uh, he talks about, uh, Jaeger talks about IBM and how they're, uh, they would get together their management team sales and frontline employees. Uh, once a month, they would get together on a conference call to discuss and resolve issues so they would not hinder the, hinder the uh, goals of the company. I think this is something that we really, really need to consider as basketball coaches. We do at, at our, in our programs, we've done what we call a unity council where we bring in one or two freshmen, one or two sophomores, every, uh, you know, one or two members of every class. And once every three weeks or so, we come in, we sit down, we talk about the issues within the program, talk about the issues with the team. And hopefully nothing's going on. But if there is, it gives people an opportunity. They are also a conduit for, uh, the other freshmen who want to talk about, well, maybe this is what's happening on the freshman team, or this is the perspective of the freshman players, uh, or the, the sophomores, juniors, seniors, all the way around. And so that is something that we do, where we bring in all of these different uh, ideas and groups that are very, very different from one another. Your, your perspective as a freshman is much different than perspectives as seniors. And that is something that we've tried to do, similar to the IBM model. Second thing that Jaeger talks about in this one is building a mentoring culture. Now, mentoring is is a great exercise. It is a great concept. It is also difficult. It's time consuming. It takes a large time commitment. And but you, if you have a good understanding of how it works, and if you have the people that are capable of being great mentors, it is a great great concept. Uh, he talks about uh, mentoring relationships and intel. Uh, Intel, the computer company, they would they would have mentors, and there were three basic rules that they had. Partners govern the relationship, creating meeting dates, and ultimately deciding what they would like to work on. So you can't force what these mentors are going to talk about or what they're going to work on with their mentee. They are uh, they got to figure that out for themselves. Second thing is that the mentors and partners drop a contract that contains details of the mentoring relationship. It's up to them as to how they're going to communicate. Uh, what's going to be acceptable to them, what is not acceptable to them. And third thing is these terms and limitations are left to be discussed and decided upon by the mentor and the partner, not by the company. So you can't look over this and make those judgments. The biggest time that we look at having mentors is perhaps when we have a difficult player, whether, uh, and usually that has to do with some sort of attitude or a chemistry issue or that type of thing. Jeff Van Gundy, now of the NBA on ABC and a great basketball announcer. He calls it the two knucklehead theory. You can have one knucklehead on your team, but you can't have two because here's what happens. The knuckleheads will find each other very, very quickly, and that creates problems. If your leadership core is strong enough, you can tolerate a knucklehead because everybody else in the locker room will keep that person in line. If you think about your teams, if you've ever had teams that have had chemistry issues, it usually starts with, with more than one knucklehead that finds another one and it grows and it grows and it grows situations where that has worked and it's been okay with strong leadership uh, structure in place before that person got there of course the maybe the most famous example is the Chicago Bulls with Dennis Rodman and they're able to bring him in and Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson are able to keep him somewhat under control as much as you could keep Rodman under control at that point of his career one of the greatest failures of the knucklehead theory is the Portland Trailblazers of the late 90s. Just too many guys that just were not, you know, did not have their heads in the right headspace for the team to have success. 
It is also good if you can foster this mentor relationship. Oftentimes, the mentor comes out of this with lessons as well. They get a different perspective. They get to find out maybe new common areas of interest. They get to grow as well. And if you are able to do this and do it well, you're going to be successful with that. But it is a time commitment if you choose to go the mentor route. The third pillar uh, that... Jaeger talks about, or the third part of the pillar here, is adjusting to leadership transitions. This is often in our field when coaches take over for a a new program, uh, which is something that I've been involved with. If you are able to adjust quickly and to not allow leadership to change the, the mission of the program, you can keep that thing going. For us, Another common practice is in graduation. If you have a great class and and you're losing great leadership or, or great players, you have to have a plan in place to adjust quickly to that transition. Uh, in the book, Jaeger talks about Build-A-Bear, and they talk about five things that they talk about easing the discomfort of change. Number one, you've got to be visibly passionate about the vision, and you've got to, if you get frustrated with this change, let's say you, you lose this great class and you're going you're gonna to take a step back, you can't get visibly frustrated. You've got to keep working at it with that group because that's who you have. You cont- Number two, you continue to reiterate the long-term vision and specific goals as often as possible. Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to go. Here's where I see us at if we do these things. Third thing, you have to monitor the mindset of the of the group consistently. Do it regularly, but try to do it informally as much as you can, but you always have your thumb on it. You Number four is you identify progress, and you also identify negativity quickly. You point out the good things, and you, uh, you, you squash the negative things very, very quickly. And you you remind your team often that you know, this is going to be different. It's a new time. It's a new thing. We've got to continue to adapt. If you keep doing these things, we're going to get to the place that we want to be at. One of the quotes, I really like this quote from this portion of the book. You are asking your organization to do something in a new way every day until it is a habit. And those habits take time to build. It is estimated that it takes something approximately two months to become a habit. I really felt like with my new team last season and our first year, it wasn't until January 15th or so. We started practice November 15th. It truly wasn't until January 15th that our changes became habit. And then it's no coincidence that we finished our season very strongly. Fourth thing under this, you adapt and embrace change. Change is going to happen. Adaptation is key. All right, you 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 can't. The, the the game of basketball has changed in the last five to ten years, especially in the last ten years. Even if if not more in the last five years. All right, when you're talking about adapting to change, you don't oversell and underdeliver. You undersell and overdeliver, and you keep talking your way through it. For example, one of the greatest companies that did not adapt to change, uh, and they tried, but then it was too late. Blockbuster. For those of you that know what Blockbuster Video is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was Netflix before Netflix. They did not change quickly enough, and the home video business was soon put out of business by streaming services like a Netflix when Blockbuster could have cornered that market early on. A company that did adapt to change very quickly and jumped into cybersecurity and information tech was Verizon, and they are perhaps the most powerful most powerful cell phone company in America. So 
The key thing, when you're talking about change, I think this is a great, great quote. When you're talking about change and you have to sell change to your programs, and we're all selling change at one time or another to our programs. If you fight change, you fight the future. If you fight the future, you fight your success. I think that's a great, great quote when you're talking about your teams and your program that you have to embrace and, and roll with change to the best of your ability, and you have to enforce change when necessary. The last thing under this pillar is great teams run successful huddles, and huddles in our case are going to be meetings. Every time you're gathered, where two or more are gathered, that's a meeting, and it is important that you run efficient meetings. He talks about how Bill Walsh, the great football coach, most notably from the San Francisco 49ers of the 1980s, he would record his meetings and study the videos of his meetings to spot potential lulls and weaknesses in the process of communicating with his team. Think about this. In the corporate world, 37% of meetings begin late by an average of 15 minutes. When you're going to have a meeting, if you say your meeting after school is going to start at 3.30, you start at 3.30. When you don't start on time, it becomes easier and easier for your kids to not come in on time, and therefore, everything is off schedule. It hurts your creativity. It hurts your job performance. It hurts your program. Be on time. Start on time. One of the things that you can do within these meetings to help increase uh, responsibility is to give your players roles or jobs in front of the team. Hey, Pete, remind me that I've got to get the bus ready. We've got to to move our our bus time from 3.30. We're leaving at 3.15 on Friday. Remind me tomorrow in school to talk to the secretary about getting that meeting taken care of. That creates accountability within your program. Now, You're probably going to do that already, but now Pete has a responsibility on his shoulders that's going to make him responsible to everybody else in the room, and that gives him ownership on that bus trip on Friday. Here's a couple of of things here with meetings. A great quote on meetings here from Jaeger. A well-run meeting is a great thing. It empowers people to make decisions, solve problems, and share information. Okay? Ten real quick keys, how to create a great meeting within your teams. And we have a lot of meetings when we're coaching, all right? Begin and end on time, number one. That's the number one thing. You begin on time, you end on time. We want to keep our scouting reports to 12 minutes or less. If we're talking for more than 12 minutes, we're probably going to lose them at that point. So our goal, 12 minutes or less, and we're out on, we're on the floor. You schedule your meetings wisely. Don't just schedule meetings just to have meetings. Schedule them wisely. Make sure you have an agenda. Number three, make sure you have an agenda. Make sure you know what you want to talk about. Number four, you need to engage your employees with strong, emotionally driven content. All right, have something, know what you're going to talk about, and know exactly how you're going to say it. Make your number five is making your meetings objectives clear from the beginning. This is what we're here. Today is scouting report. Today we're talking about uh, our shooting percentages. Today we're going to talk about shot selection, whatever it may be. Six, be efficient. Don't waste time with off-topic discussions. And kids, especially high school kids, are going to try and get you off-topic. You have to do your best to stay on-topic. Seven, that being said, you have to build in time for necessary discussion points. If people have questions, if if you know this could create some things, uh, discussion within your group, you have to create time for that. Number eight, make the appointment count. Make it be worth the 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 time that you're putting into it 
Number nine, tailor the meeting for all participants. Don't have a whole team meeting if you're only really intending to intend the message for one or two players. If you have a message for those one or two players, sit down with those one or two players. Keep your team meetings to your team meetings. And then number 10, and I really like this idea. At the end of the meeting, review your objectives or your decisions made. Make sure that you, when you walk out of that room, everybody is on the same page when it comes to your team meeting. So pillar number three, efficiency. It's, it's a great, it's a really, really good. And what I really liked about Jaeger's book is the more I got into it, the more and more it seemed like it applied to coaching and basketball and, and what we do here at a pen and a napkin. So this is pillar number three. We've got one more pillar to go next week. I think you're going to really like it. A pen and a napkin university just dropped the announcement yesterday a pen and a napkin.com is up and running, still tweaking some things. We'll continue to be tweaking things, but you're eligible. You can sign up for a pen and a napkin university. You can sign up online. Should be good to go for you. If you have any questions, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.